Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Matt Harmon and I am lucky enough to be joined by Dalton Del Don today. Dalton, how the hell are you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Uh, how about yourself, Matt? Did you have a good Father's Day? Well, as a non-father, yes. <laughs> well, I brought that up, actually, because I took a note. Hold on. It's, I think I saw you were barbecuing, though. Maybe it was, yes, you're a non-father, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it was not a four-year-old man either. But I did see you barbecuing some nice-looking ribeye and some pork butt, if I might be mistaken. It was this weekend, so sorry if I got the details wrong, but it looked delicious. No, damn right, brother. I did. Uh, I had the the girlfriend's uh, parents came over for Father's Day because, you know, they okay. live I live in El Segundo. They live in Torrance. So we're very close to each other. So they came in. Uh, and yeah, I, I put the uh, I got got lucky that I was able to do two pieces of meat in the big green egg. Well, I have I have the smaller version of the big green egg because, you know, we're still limited right. in the backyard space here. Uh, but someday. I imagine that I'll be having that extra large one and really be flying there barbecue wise. But yeah, uh, so did it did a nice pork butt did a did a ribeye. And I mean, I don't I don't want to take a victory lap here, even though this is a fantasy football podcast and like victory laps are probably uh, encouraged within the industry. Uh, it was damn good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if it tastes as good as it looked. Yeah, it looked legit, man. I was jealous. It looked really good. Someday. Dalton, I hope to cook you a nice uh, big piece of smoked meat. We'll see if uh, the world is ever in a normal place for us to do that again. For sure, uh, for sure. But let's move on to some football stuff. I know we have a few fun things to talk about here today, man. First of all, I mean, Dak Prescott makes the important step of signing his franchise tag for 2020. Where are you at with the Cowboys offense and Dak in particular? And I, I know we have it on the outline here, and I'm not trying to throw uh, Ragu under the bus. I'm going to not throw him under the bus here for writing this on the outline. I'm going to throw all the chuckleheads who laughed at me saying that Dak could be a top three quarterback in fantasy football next year. And people say, no way, he not, not going to happen. Guy was like, what, QB2 last year in overall points? So it's not even that hot of a take. Uh, but anyways, where do you stand, true or false, Dak Prescott, top three fantasy quarterback this year? Yeah, he's my number three, and I'm closer to moving him to two or one than I am down further. But I mean, it's just Lamar Jackson and Mahomes who we'll talk about right. soon are just, you know, they're awesome, transcendent fantasy players. Uh, but yeah, Dak comfortably number three. Uh, they added CeeDee Lamb to an offense that averaged, I think it was something crazy, like 440 yards last year. Yes, they led the NFL in yards per play, uh, ostensibly improved their coaching 
Um, yeah, he run well, every the first three years of a career. I believe he rushed for six touchdowns in each one. Uh, Prescott was an underrated fantasy guy even before this, and now with the weapons, uh, yeah, I mean, t- I see. I don't think that's exactly a stretch to consider him the third guy. I think that's probably uh, about his ADP. I would imagine. If not, that's where it will be in August. Because yeah, I mean, look at the weapons around him. Yeah, I mean, fun cast of weapons. I think Dak is legit good. Um, I saw people wondering, you know, what would Andy Dalton do in this offense? Like that's being so disingenuous and so um, I think it's it's underrating what a what a good like strong top 10 quarterback Dak Prescott is. You know, Uh, I think I think he's a good player. And I mean, even when you get beyond the fact that, yes, they have three really good receivers, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup and of course, CeeDee Lamb, as you mentioned, they've got Tony Pollard coming out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He could. I think he could eat into Zeke's reception work just a little bit. Zeke, also not a bad player himself as a pass catcher. And then you've got Blake Jarwin as like a super deep sleeper at tight end. It's underrated. That, that really is an upgrade over the version they got of Witten last year. I mean, Jarwin has really been a, a yards per outrun monster in his brief work. So I think that's an upgrade. So yeah, from top to bottom. Um, hopefully their defense isn't so good. I almost want the you know more shootouts, but uh, that that team, yeah, again led the the league in yards per play last year and added CD Lamb. Um, yeah, what's not to like about Dak? And he's you look at the advanced passing numbers too, and, and and they like him. He's a real good real life quarterback too. It's not just the rushing or whatever. I mean, he's he's decent accuracy, and he's only getting better. So yeah, it's not controversial. Consider him top three. Yeah, exactly. And just to to make that point even better about uh, Blake Jarwin stepping in for Jason Witten, I saw Graham Barfield, a friend from Fantasy Points today, tweet, at 37 years old and coming off a year-long retirement, and I'll add this in there, a really, really awful stint as a broadcaster, uh, Jason Witten (laughs) led Dallas in red zone targets inside the top 10, finished 8th among tight ends in receptions, 10th in targets, 13th in air yards, and 13th in expected fantasy points per game. Now, imagine what Blake Jarwin will do at, t- at just an ADP of tight end 19. I think he's. it's tough to project all of these guys to hit and all of these guys to clear their ADP or whatever, but still, if you're making a late-round tight end gamble or you're taking somebody as your second tight end in a best ball draft, I think Jarwin's a perfect target. Yeah, Cobb, don't forget Cobb had like 83 targets last year and he's gone. So there is some, and again, 440 yeah. yards per game. So it's a lot to go around. I get I get why you can't ag- aggressively rank Jarwin super higher because tight end is deep. There's so many young, intriguing options. And if he's fourth on the pecking order, fifth even, you know, with the running backs there. But man, you said it, the, the red zone. How many trips to the red zone are they going to be there? So if he just replaces Witten, only a more efficient version, um, there's easy tight end one upside there. So just wait on the, wait on, if, if you just don't require one tight end to start like the majority of leagues why not just wait on that position yeah I totally hear you well I will be eventually writing a piece on Mike McCarthy for my series of the people who will define the 2020 season because I think everybody knows that there was so much meat left on the bone there uh, in Dallas mostly because of just the some of the stone worst coaching that the NFL had to offer in 2019, but haven't got to that point in the series yet. But Dalton, I do want to kick around some of the things that I have been writing about for this series. And essentially just, just to kind of draw it out here. My thought is every NFL season, and this is a little bit of a meta thing to say, but like every NFL season is its own story within the larger 
tale of the league. But just like any good book, any good TV series or whatever, you don't remember every little thing that happens. You don't remember every character, every move they made. If you're a big Harry Potter dork like me and you just are starting to revisit the series, you know, 10 years later because uh, we're in lockdown and what the hell else are we doing? Uh, you need something in the background while you're charting all those Deontay Johnson routes. Uh, you got Harry Potter playing. And you're like, oh, I forgot about this. But you remember the key defining points of the series. And I think that that's a lot what an NFL season is like. You know, there's at least like 10 to 15 characters that truly define the season. Obviously, last year, 2019, Lamar Jackson, I think, was the story of the NFL. Now, I, for 2020, I'm trying to look ahead and see who will be those defining characters. And we'll start off with the first piece that I published in. I think it was it just made natural sense to talk about Patrick Mahomes because I think because he is this transformative figure in the NFL, he will be the defining story point of every NFL season that he takes place in right now. Not to mention also, you know, by putting himself in the video, the Black Lives Matter Matter video that the NFL put out there, the NFL players put out there, that was a statement all in and of itself. He's partnered now with LeBron James about black voting rights and things like that. So he's he's taking a more outward step, not just as a player, but but thinking about him just as a player. Where, where do you where do you stand on Mahomes? Like, just I just want to make sure you're one of these normal people that uh, does know that he is quarterback Jesus. He is a deity in and of himself. Well, you're bringing up bad thoughts with Mahomes as a 49ers fan here, but true. I, after giving it, you know, some consideration back and forth, I've settled in with him as my number one QB ahead of Lamar Jackson. I the rushing, I get it, the upside there, but not expecting just you know just pointing to normal aggression, whatever. I think Lamar Jackson's awesome, and he may even get better as a passer. I think it's really tough, but. Dude, Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns essentially his rookie year, and we forget how good he was before he got hurt last year. I went back and looked. September, dude had 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 9.7 YPA. He was throwing for 377 and a half yards a game. I mean, before he got hurt. I mean, these are the first, the craziest first 20 games of, of sports career history, and it just happens to be the most important position. So, oh, yeah, Andy also runs, uh, has a brilliant offensive mind that had Alex Smith putting up fantasy numbers. I mean, Nicole Hardman has these crazy, you know, athletic ability. And Travis Kelsey, you talked about Graham Barfield. He said uh, since um, McCaffrey, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the best route running running back he's charted of all college football. And that guy is now joining this system. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a, a silly career. He's just, uh, yeah, what more can you say? Yes, yes, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm settling on moving him to QB1 too. I, I don't really fear too much regression uh, with Lamar Jackson. I mean, there will naturally be some regression, I just think, with, net, the, with yeah. the rushing. But we can talk about, you know, Marquise Brown at a different point because he's a guy that I think can help offset some of that regression. But that's a different topic. But for on the Mahomes thing... I think the rushing is actually the key to why, you know, the title of the story that I wrote was, I don't even think we've seen the best of Patrick Mahomes yet. And that's a pretty scary thought because he's already, like you said, unfrickin' believable in his first two years as a full-time starter. But what we, you bring up the, the Super Bowl, the playoffs, the painful memories for 49ers fans, part of what made him so, like taking, it just seemed like he had taken his game to another level in the postseason was that was when he really started to, to, to take off running. And I, I, I hate to, I mean, God, I'm giving Graham like a free advertising yeah. here. Like what am I, is his damn agent on this podcast? But I can remember, you know, he lives out in LA used to work for NFL.com. 
we got together and watched the Chiefs Colts playoff game from the 2018 season. And I remember him telling me just how scary it was going to be when Mahomes would realize like, hey, I can pick up, you know, seven yards rushing, 10 yards rushing, scramble and pick up a first down here as opposed to on third down, flinging the ball deep downfield, you know, over some guy's head or into tight coverage. And I think we really started to see that in the postseason. And just to put some numbers behind it, Mahomes took off 24 times over the three postseason games for 135 yards and two touchdowns. I think it was a major factor in moving the chains. He picked up 11 first downs as a runner between the divisional round, the AFC Championship game, and the Super Bowl. Just for context, he picked up 15 first downs as a runner in his 14 regular season starts last year. So I know that doesn't sound like much, but it's pretty huge considering all that rushing, those rushing stats are an extra 8.5 fantasy points per game over three games. That's pretty huge if you think about it. So he'll definitely add some rushing. The only thing I would counter as far as the postseason is he made a concerted effort there in like important games. I know he could rush for a lot more yards if he wanted to, but I do think he holds back in the regular season, uh, you know, for, for safety reasons. It's why not. And plus this team could be naming its score and be playing ahead so much. I, he may not be the necessity to run, but I'll also say don't look at Mahomes' second uh, year uh, to start overall numbers and be like, oh, he took a noticeable step back. That second half, he was playing injured at less than 100%. Again, look at his September before he dislocated his knee. Uh, this guy is a true, truly remarkable, transcendent talent. And uh, But yes, even if he just runs a little bit, it's such a nice addition. And it really goes a long way in the fantasy stats. And I think the, cra- the crazy thing, too, about him, like you mentioned, he was injured. I found in doing the research for this article in the second half of the season, like you... You you watch Patrick Holmes and you can tell he's not quite the same. But I think we forget about just what an insane injury that was at the time that he had it. It was a Thursday night game against, I think, against the Denver Broncos. And he dislocated his kneecap. And then he's back in like two weeks. And the doctors literally said, this was the report that Ian Rappaport had. The doctors literally said that he was able to come back because of the way he was you know, the way he was made, like his freaky genetics, his overall flexibility, like, you know, just like, what the hell are we dealing with here? This oh, is we like thought he a- was out for the season. There was worry that night going to bed. Everyone thought he was, it, oh, it sucks. You know, the, the game's biggest star, you know, is probably lost for the season. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, again, just this, this, he's yeah, just like he's not, not a normal human. Yeah. He's not. That, yeah. That's insane. Um, so I think, we're both in agreement at, at the QB one thing. And it's crazy one- how ignored he was though, by the way, honestly, what I guess Andy Reed knew he was so in on him. He, and he even went out to great lengths to hide his secrecy. I mean, the Niners needed a quarterback that uh, Shanahan's recently said, you know, frankly, honestly, we didn't even give him second thought. He wasn't on the radar. You know, he wasn't the guy who talked about the top five because that's where they traded Solomon Thomas and the Bears got Trubisky. But why did Mahomes go 10th here? I mean, what, what, what? Seriously, it's crazy. I mean, what? I mean, personality check, uh, athleticism check. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, it's, if you look at his EPA too, like the, he, his, he's off the charts good. Like I, I really can't express like how, how amazing he is at such a tough position at his age of what he's doing. It, it really is remarkable. Yeah, it's like, I know it seems stupid to say that he's going to be one of the best of all time. But like, you know, in my time watching football, this is clearly the best thrower of the football I've ever seen. Like he, I I think uh, Ben Baldwin said it one time on Twitter, like 
because he's like very anti Aaron Rodgers, and it's like a almost like a weird campaign. Ben, come on, like that's enough of that. But he said he's like Patrick Mahomes is what like Aaron Rodgers truthers think Aaron Rodgers is, and like when he said it, I initially wanted to get mad, but like I kind of get what he's saying because like all those ridiculous throws that Rodgers makes, Mahomes makes like two or three of those a game. Yeah, no, it's insane. Yeah, on a per play basis, maybe he's not the most accurate, but he does the big plays that just puts the value up. So yes, for sure. No, that's a great comparison. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers, if you look deep, the advanced stats suggest he's been a very mediocre quarterback the last five years. That's uh, another topic. But yeah, I think it's safe to say that we both agree that Pat Mahomes is a bright future in the league. Yeah, I I would say so. Uh, One last note on Mahomes. I'm just personally thankful, and I wrote about this at the top of the piece, that like all the that we had to deal with, like Peyton Manning, you know, can he win the big one? You know, whatever. Like Mahomes got that out of the way in his second, Already. like second season as a starter. So that we don't vaguely have to ha- remember that what you're talking about vaguely, but yes, that's uh, yes, yes, he did. He accomplished yes. that. I'm I'm so sorry, Dalton, to bring up more painful memories here in an already fragile <laughs> moment. Um, but let's move on. Let's move on from something scarring to you know, well, another NFC West team here. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. In case you missed it, he's playing for the Cardinals this year. Uh, you know, I know we've talked a lot about him on the show, but I kind of wonder what's your thought on his overall effect for the Houston offense before, or excuse me, for the Arizona offense before we kind of talk about DeAndre Hopkins, the individual player. Yeah, no, I'm in. Um, I know that they didn't run as fast pace as they were expected after uh, Murray started getting killed over the first couple months. I certainly expect them to uh, move it back up and Murray passed the eye test. He was young. He looked great. I expect... A bunch of high-scoring games at the Rams and Seahawks. Uh, yeah, Niners D is okay, but um, but they actually were able to put up points. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in on Murray. He's a top five uh, fantasy because I also really like Russell Wilson. Uh, but I don't think that's a stretch. Obviously, everyone's in on Murray, and you add Hopkins to that offense, whom I'm really curious your opinion because, as far as I can tell, Hopkins is still. I think PFF graded him like a top three receiver last year, but probably lost a bit of a step. There's a concern about switching systems. Uh, in general, let alone in a truncated, you know, offseason like this weird one. So I've kind of settled in as far as fantasy rankings. I know you don't care specifically, but I want to hear you to know my mindset here. It's kind of a big five tier one, but I have them comfortably behind Julio Jones, even though the age and Tyreek, Devontae Adams, obviously, and Thomas. And I will say I'm closer to moving Allen Robinson from six mm. to five and above Hopkins than I am Hopkins into the, uh, you know, above Julio just because of the uncertainty. But Having said that, you could say, no, man, this guy's awesome. He's uh, now with Murray in his prime, could easily finish number one. Well, let's talk about Hopkins, the individual player first, because you mentioned that. Like, I think he actually, in reception perception, had his best season last oh, well. year. Okay. So he did uh, lost a set. He's not lost a set. Okay. No, I think, I think uh, just to put some numbers behind it, uh, in his two, 2019 reception perception results, 77% success rate versus man coverage. That's a 94th percentile. 79% success rate versus press. That's the 91st percentile in reception perception history. And he was, those were both, not only were those both career best marks over his, over his course in reception perception, he was one of the few select wide receivers to do what I call go full green, where every route on the tree is green because it's above the NFL average. So right. honestly, I think he was, he was at his best last season. I think it was just, you know, some more dysfunctional. I think, I think the Houston offense was a little bit overrated last year, not to mention with Will Fuller and Kenny Stills there. I think some of his vertical looks got dialed back, which is why right. his yards per reception got. They're pretty off hacked. script, isn't he? Isn't he off script with Watson a, a more than usual or no? 
Well, I think he just he gets targeted in high degree of difficulty areas because he's so good in those contested catch situations. Now, uh, one th- other thing too from reception perception, and this is why I think he, even if Hopkins takes a step back as a fantasy asset, I think he's gonna he's just such a huge addition for Murray. Yeah. Maybe even you know Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, like all these guys. When you look at the entire catalog of reception perception, and again, this is 250 sampled wide receivers over the last, or 250 sampled seasons over 115 unique wide receiver seasons. Hopkins owns two of the highest double coverage rates for those for mm. uh, for all of the last six years. So I think he's one of the few wide receivers that is like a true coverage dictator. Right. Like he, people need to, he requires extra defensive attention. One of those seasons obviously was 2019, but you mentioned it, you know, the switching teams thing. How much is that a concern for you? Cause I found in the article that history would show, you know, Hopkins is not necessarily like history is not necessarily on Hopkins side, but I also kind of would counter with that, that we haven't seen very many like alpha wide receivers totally. in their prime change their change in the middle of the season. Yeah, like I said, I could be swayed either way. I'm kind of on the fence. A couple of things though. A, it's unclear. I'm, I'm curious your opinion if Christian Kirk's any good. His yards per target, not very good last season. And maybe, you know, they'll, they'll wind up, uh, Isabella is healthy. I don't know. They'll get four wide and we'll, we'll see fewer double teams for Hopkins. Um, but didn't Allen Robinson also finish historically high his season last year in one of your metrics, like a, a oh, top yeah. 10 or something too, right? Uh, oh yeah. My, my dude, let me tell you what, I'm never going to talk you out of any Allen okay. Robinson positivity. Right. You could have come in here and been like, I want to put in wide receiver one and I won't stop yeah. you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Robinson, Robinson was number one in success rate versus man coverage last year was also historically high and a number of his 2019 was legitimately elite is, is just what I would say. Yeah, no. And I like Foles a little bit better than the market as an upgrade over a bigger upgrade than Trubisky. So I'm in on him. Okay. Yeah, no. Hopkins is going to help this whole offense. I'm big on Kenyon Drake. I mean, I have him like sixth or seventh overall on my board. Um, I'm upset as a 49ers fan. Uh, this get, getting Hopkins like this. It's frustrating dealing with Houston. I mean, it's, it's, it's annoying. I mean, I think this team is a lot of really interesting, intriguing skill position players. Kyler Murray looks like the real deal. And being, th- thank, thank God for Jared Goff. That's all I got to say. I mean, in a division with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, uh, if you combine McVay with Goff, it would be a real problem as a Niner fan for the next decade. I mean, yeah, I'm concerned with Hopkins joining this group of talent. Yeah, the NFC West looks completely loaded and like there's going to be a lot of fun games. One thing I do do want to note, too, from the Hopkins piece, just before we move back to the Houston part of it. um, You know, I mentioned that he's very unique as a player. One thing that he's also unique in is his relationship with quarterbacks because he's produced with some just total dust balls out there. You know, Brock Osweiler, TJ Yates, uh, Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer, all these like clowns that they got in there before uh, Deshaun Watson was there and truly healthy. My guy, Taylor Heineke, shout out to old ODU uh, and the Carolina Panthers. He even was out there for a couple snaps on Christmas one time. Uh, but good Lord, I try to forget those things. But anyways, one thing that Hopkins, when I sat down and talked to him at the Super Bowl, he told me, I asked him, what goes into creating that dynamic where you're still really productive despite these, you know, maybe not so good quarterbacks. He said, so for me, it's really being the quarterback's best friend because like most of my quarterbacks, I've never had off seasons with to throw it, to throw with them or kind of help their game besides Deshaun Watson, like with all these guys, they were getting thrown in the middle of the season. He had no idea who the starter was going to be. So because of that, he really just he gravitates to people and tries to be their best friend and connect onto them. And I think that if anybody is going to beat sort of the 
weird truncated version of this offseason because of the lack of chemistry. It, because of that quote, I thought it was like, man, it might be Hopkins because he's already so used to not having off seasons to develop chemistry and, and knocking it out real quick. And I think if he and Murray can at some point get together and create that chemistry, even if it's in a truncated period, maybe he is the type of guy that can beat the odds in terms of receivers changing seasons or changing teams. Hopkins definitely didn't disappear like Juju when his quarterback would, would go down. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point, and I like it. Like guys like Jarvis Landry, seemingly wherever they go, are leading their teams in targets, even when there are other alphas, like with Beckham on his team. So it feels like maybe there's an, an, an off the field connection that they form. Uh, and if Hopkins is the same way, and they're and they're working on it, and in the off season, maybe it's something that you don't need to worry about. And really, you know, every every team is going to be dealing with this short off season. Yes, it helps to have continuity, but everyone's going to be dealing with the weirdness. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a that's a young team that with a lot of uh, really awesome looking parts at the skill positions. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. So let's go back to Houston uh, and DeAndre Hopkins, former best friend. <laughs> I don't know. Do they still do like once you once yeah. you become best friends with the quarterback, do you like eventually dump them when you when when you get a new one? I, I don't know how that works. But uh, Deshaun Watson, how are you feeling about him coming into the season? I remember a few podcasts ago, you asked me about the wide receivers in Houston there, and I really don't have like a strong pull one way or the other because this wide receiver core just looks so weird to me. But how are you feeling about Deshaun Watson and the effect that might have on him? Yeah, I know he has some splits without Hopkins. I dropped him to six, so below the five I've mentioned. But then then after that is actually a tier, so he's in that tier. Um, I think he'll be fine. He's a great football player. Um, I'd have not – please tell me, help me clear the the wide receiver position there because if Fuller could stay healthy, I mean, I could see a monster season. But – he won't stay healthy, but I'm not really a Cooks guy. So should I still go talk myself back into Kenny Stills? And then Cobb is going to, you know, I can't really trust the coaching. So I don't know. I will tell you this. I'm in a, a deep uh, dynasty league, and I picked up Cahill Waring at tight end. I think he's a very d- deep sleeper for you <laughs> dynasty leaguers out there. I forget even who talked me into it, but he's a real sleeper for you. Honestly, I think, I feel like you made that name up. I did it. No, I didn't. No, look into it. <laughs> I'm dropping the mic too. I'm serious. Now I'm getting all excited talking about the hell warring here, but I'm telling you deep, deep dinosaur leaguers. Check it out. It's thank just me go- later in like two, three years. Yeah. You can laugh now, but three years from now you'll be, you'll be thanking me. I mean, it just goes to show you like, this, this is my job, uh, you know, football, but every now and again, there's a name that somebody drops. I'm like, who the hell are you talking about, man? Yeah. But uh, no, I, I hear you. Look, I mean, this they were is like a... number three in touchdown receptions last year, the tight end position too. Houston last oh, year. Yeah. He loves to throw to, that was with Hopkins too. So if one of those guys does emerge, I mean, pay attention. And their tight ends, you know, last year is like Jordan Thomas, who, who's oh, who, Darren Fells, Darren Fells. Like, yeah, if they if they ever had like a legit, really good tight end, that would be Oh, man, that would be something. But hey, maybe it's your guy here. I I've already forgotten his yeah. name, but it's uh, a yeah, they do. I was gonna, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the wide receiver core, though, I agree with you. Like, I'm not really a Cooks guy. Fuller, I think, is maybe he's not. You know, he's not a number one. He's not an alpha, whatever. But he's good enough, obviously in the vertical game, but also on several short routes and in tight spaces. He's a very good contested catch receiver that if he ever did stay healthy, he would obviously, I mean, I think smash in this spot here, but it's just so hard to even pretend to get optimistic about that. And I, I really don't want to, I love Kenny Stills, the player. I, I think that he might be the odd man out if they do trade anybody. And I do think back to when uh, Kiki Kute was starting to break out there and just, <laughs> how much Hopkins liked that safety valve, how much he was willing. I mean, they fed him like an absurd amount of touches as their slot receiver. And if Randall Cobb becomes that guy, 
he might be, you know, the winner here might be like a clear and their offense would stink. I think if that was the result, but for fantasy, he might just smash his, his ADP. Yeah, absolutely. I want, I want to touch on the running back situation. I will say, I want to say real quick, um, looking into the deeper stats, uh, I can't say Bill O'Brien will do the right thing. In fact, I can almost guarantee he won't, but (laughs) if David Johnson gets hurt, Duke Johnson's a really good player, man. I'd love to see him get actual yeah. touches. He is so much better than David Johnson. Again, it's unlikely to happen, and I know we've heard it before, including myself. I ranked him way too aggressively last year, embarrassingly high. Um, but I, I don't. he's kind of cheaper in draft tables because of that. So I, I think don't totally forget about Duke Johnson. That's, that's what I would say here, but maybe I'm crazy. No, I mean, I think Duke Johnson like passes the eye test from an advanced metrics perspective. He's... He's always been better, I think, than the opportunities been given. Part of me wants to say, well, you know, eventually we just kind of have to give up the ghost because multiple coaching staffs have decided that he's not worth more touches. But then again, those coaching staffs are Hugh Jackson and, and Bill O'Brien. Like, what, do I re- do I really want to sit here and like trust what these guys are saying? Um, I just I think without an injury, it's going to be really, oh, you know, kind yeah, it's yeah no, they they want nothing. David Johnson to put up numbers after the trade. That yeah, for sure, he's going to try to give him the volume. I think it might take an injury, but I mean, he's, David Johnson probably will get injured. So I don't know. I I, I kind of like Duke Johnson, but man, if you get any clearer picture of the wide receivers there, definitely let me know. I've always been a Will Fuller guy. I mean, maybe he stays healthy, but um, I mean the upside's there. But uh, you you know, yeah. What does his route tree look like without Hopkins? Is he one of those guys that would really get, is not going to, you know, maybe he's the number one, he's going to see more targets, or does he benefit from from opponents getting all those double teams like you, you mentioned? You know, I think that that's a great point because I think when you have a true number one receiver like Hopkins, you know, the elite of the elite, and then you also have a vertical threat on the other side of the field, I think that is probably what made Watson so dangerous right away is because that's probably the hardest thing to defend in the NFL is when you have a cover like teams have obviously decided great I I have a true elite coverage dictating wide receiver here clearly based on reception perception they've dictated the resources to stop that but then you're leaving a guy like Will Fuller who can just rip you apart from a vertical game perspective on the other side of the field so I I think that was really a bind and that does kind of like I think the, you know, the ADP on Fuller is appealing enough that, especially in a best ball format, when you're not going to really feel those injury losses, if you insulate him the right way, he's a great pick. And I think even in a, in a standard redraft league, he's a great pick because of the cost. But that does give me some pause because the construction of the offense will be so vastly different. I think with it, like you, you just, when you pluck uh, the way, I, the way I would say it is this tip, like, great. We can all pencil in, a bigger slice of the pie for Will Fuller. We can probably pencil in a bigger slice of the pie for Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb, all of these guys, even the running backs without Hopkins there because he commanded so much volume, he commanded such a big slice. But I think the overall make of the pie, it's just gonna, it's not going to be as tasty, if you know, if that makes any sense. Like we're going from, uh, you know, a, a great basil pepperoni uh, shout out to Slice and Pint up the street here in El Segundo, a great handmade pizza to bigger slices of like Papa John's. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Or we can go with a six foot five, 252 pound Warren who fits the tight end prototype <laughs> who ran a four, six 40, 
and looks like a monster who's been working out with Deshaun Watson and other teammates during the offseason with Cobb and Cook. So, uh, so there's, there's that. So uh, anyway, what you thought uh, you, Watson will be okay fantasy-wise though, right, either way? Yeah, I think he's proven to be a talent elevator. Like, even as good as Hopkins and Fuller are, they were clearly unlocked when Watson started to break out. So I think, look, it's just injury problem after injury problem and question mark out of this wide receiver core. But I think if at any point at least two of those guys are healthy and on the field, like, that's good enough for Watson to be very good. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, cool. So let's kind of round it up with this uh, wide receiver. You had a you had had a wide receiver list of of yours that you wanted to pick my brain on. Uh, I know I tweeted this yesterday about guys that I like to varying degrees. When somebody asked me about uh, who my guy is for fantasy this year, so I'm, I'm going to cede the floor to you, and you can throw this uh, you throw this back at me. Yeah. So you tweeted the names. So uh, we talked about them before, but I just want to make sure because I in a, in a bigger money league recently I had a debate between uh, Deontay Johnson and AJ Green, whom I have ranked back to back. I know you don't oh. care about ranks, but if you had a, a big a lot of money on the line, who would you rather on your fantasy team this year? I think I'd rather have Deontay Johnson just because because I, I, I just want to bring it up because a lot there's there's a lot of like James Washington talk and what if they move in out and he becomes the number three. But James Washington's similar size and strength and age and all that. But uh, but you're still in a Deontay Johnson, right? Because I, I just want to I just want you to confirm confirm our, our, our preconceived biases. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. And I think when you look at the Bengals offense again in a normal situation, Sure. In most years, like you're penciling in, if AJ Green is on the field, then he's top 12 yeah. wide receiver, elite AJ Green. And, but I don't know if that's the case this year because not only has there, has there been so many health problems, we 31, just don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He's 31, whatever. But also look at the other uh, weapons in that offense right now. You know, you've got Tyler Boyd, who I think is going to command 110 plus targets again this year as that reliable safety valve. I think T. Higgins is like a classic possession receiver. Uh, you've got maybe John Ross stays healthy, Auden Tate, maybe he comes, like I keep bringing up Auden Tate because he like sort of kind of flashed last year. There's a lot of health questions there too. There's health questions throughout the Bengals wide receiver core. Then you've got Mixon as a guy who demands pass catching attention. Maybe one of these tight ends kind of pops a little bit too, but there's just, I don't know that even if AJ Green is back and he's healthy, that's an if, if he's back to his old form, that's another if. I don't know if then we can say, well, he's going to get elite number one wide receiver volume because there's just so many other guys in this offense right now. Yeah, I don't know if the coaching staff likes him at all, but I could just counter and say, you know, used to be a monster, could be a contract sure, no year, doubt. could be a contract year with the best quarterback of his career. I mean, Burrow could easily be the best quarterback of his career. Um, okay, so you're on Johnson. We talked enough about him. McLaurin, I've talked, I mean, he's awesome. You agree? Fun. I have him ranked yeah. very aggressively. Um, I want to ask you about Marquise Brown, whom I uh, just recently moved way up my rankings. I'm the highest in the whole 80 rankers right now in fantasy pros. Um, Let's go. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on him, man? Um, I moved him to 15th, like very aggressive. Uh, I, I think he's so much upside that people are just not really understanding the fact that Baltimore's going to pass. They're going to defenses are going to try to stop the run. Uh, they did not draft a receiver until like round four. Um, they got rid of Hayden Hurst. Uh, Marquise Brown was was good in the in in the the air yards and all that the first month before he got injured. Uh, look in the playoff game, he led the team in snaps and targets and all that. Um, I don't know. He's, uh, he was playing on one foot last year, underweight. Supposedly the screw removed. He looks like a monster in the workout videos. Are you in or out? As someone who actually cares about things like route running, which I'm not even talking about. Love Marquise Brown, man. He was my favorite receiver in last year's draft class. I mean, I I think now. Oh Terry McC- yes. Okay, good. 
Terry McLaurin has replaced him as the best. I think he's going to be the best receiver in last year's draft class, maybe even A.J. Brown. I mean, I've talked about it. I've talked about it plenty, but that 2019 group is just really, really awesome. But to to talk about Marquise Brown, you know, everybody was enthralled with the speed, the deep game potential, and me too. But he showed some legit advanced traits as a route runner in college. And I think despite the fact that you mentioned – he was pl- coming off an injury. Then he got injured again in his rookie season. I think his reception perception would show that he was still very good. 73.6% success rate versus man coverage. That's at the 83rd percentile. As long as you clear that 80th percentile in reception perception, I've put numbers out about this. History would show that you've got about a 70% chance of eventually recording a 1,000-yard season. So I think that Brown is clearly going to surpass that this year. And just, again, look at the construction of Baltimore's offense because I mentioned how having an alpha wide receiver and a vertical threat across the field from each other is very tough to defend. Well, obviously Baltimore, you know, maybe Marquise Brown becomes this, but at the very least, he's definitely that vertical threat. Think about how much of a bind it's going to be for defenses to think about defending the traditional running game in Baltimore then obviously Lamar Jackson as a passer and a runner. And then this guy that I think can separate deep, but even all, at all levels of the field, if Marquise Brown is healthy, I, I think that he really helps Lamar Jackson as a passer from an efficiency perspective. And I, I think he could totally break out this year. Cause I think he has those, I think he has enough ability to be a guy that does command 120 targets. Maybe this offense isn't that conducive to it, but I think he could handle that. Yeah, and um, Holly, Hollywood um, was number eight in fantasy points per route run as a rookie on one leg. Um, supposedly, Lamar Jackson told Baltimore, uh, I want one of two receivers, uh, him or Jerry Judy, the following year. And they said, OK, guy coming off Liz Frank surgery, 160 pounds, done. And they listened and it's going to pay oh, off. Wow. And even if you look at the uh, I forgot the, the doctor at uh, at uh, the fantasy. Ah, I forgot his name, but he did a good saying year two removing from uh, from this. Go get him. That's he gave the clear. So nice. I, 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 I think Marquise Brown is one of the more undervalued uh, fantasy guys in, in all in any position. Um, but the other, other receivers I want to ask you about, guy I'm not as high on, but you like as a route runner. But it's more so it's just his uh, situation in New York is Sterling Shepard. He's already, what, 27 years old. There's just so many competition there. Even like Golden Tate was really uh, a target hog when, when healthy. And obviously I like Slayton. And he, what if Evan Ingram stays healthy? And Daniel Jones, who I get the fantasy upside because he can run, but was actually kind of secretly really bad as a passer <laughs> last year. So what do you think about Sterling Shepard? Maybe, maybe you're probably talking more real life and I'm, I'm skewing more fantasy, but, but talk about him. Well, I think he's a good enough value in, in fantasy leagues to want to take the plunge because he's not at all costly. And he's also a guy that was getting really good opportunity when he was healthy last year. So I think the biggest problem with Shepard is, you know, in, in his early portion of his career, he's playing with Eli Manning as like maybe the two or three target. And then in his first year without Odell Beckham, he ends up getting all of these concussion problems. And and that's also an, a risk that we have to take into account here too. But I, I still think Shepard is a potential number one receiver cooking there because he showed last year that he could play outside. And that was something that, you know, early in his career, he was like an exclusively a slot receiver. Last year, he was he was asked to be the flanker much more. Uh, he played on less than half of his sampled his snaps and reception perception came as a slot receiver. So I think he can be that top tier flanker wide receiver. Very good in success rate versus man coverage. Very good in success rate versus press coverage. I think he has... I think he still has the ability to have that breakout season, but it, it, it is definitely 
the can the candle's lit, but it's flickering here a little bit. So I like him just because he's not too costly in fantasy, but that is for a lot of good reasons. Like you mentioned, plenty of other players in the offense there that could command volume, and I'm not sure that Daniel Jones is about to support all of these guys. I- I'll just say, though, I, I like Shepard a lot more than Slayton as a pure player. Okay, in- interesting. That is interesting. Um, he probably won't end up on on any of my fantasy teams this year. It's Dr. Edwin F- at FB Injury Doc at Fantasy Points. Uh, once again, uh, Graham Barfield's company. So this is sponsored by uh, by Graham. Uh, all right, next. Uh, <laughs> no, anyway, he's a doctor to give okay for Marquise Brown. So Shepard, um, I'm going to shy away from but another guy who I keep ending up with. Um, I think we've talked about him briefly before, but com- continue the hype, please. Anthony Miller. Um, I know the chronic shoulder problem. He had surgery on it because of a, getting hurt in a meaningless week 17 game. But this guy's good. And again, I think Nick Foles is going to be a big upgrade, not just a, a marginal one. I think it's possible he's a big upgrade. So what are your thoughts on Miller? Yeah, I love Miller. Uh, runs against zone coverage a lot as a slot receiver, but very good at beating man coverage, very good at be- beating press coverage. That's why I don't think even at his peak, I, that's why I've always said that he could be a Doug Baldwin-like talent because he's able to beat a variety of different coverage. He's not just some bunny hop slot receiver. And you've seen it so far in his career a little bit. The ability to separate on deep routes, the ability to be a guy that that his quarterback looks for downfield and, and very often does not hit. So I agree with you. If Foles can just be, you know, an average starting quarterback, you're looking at two guys that could really be potentially up there, you know, sort of like a Godwin and Evans type situation where they're splitting about 50% of the targets. And typically you know, you you want your you want to draft a value wide receiver that could potentially lead his team in targets. That's not Anthony Miller because he's playing across from Allen Robinson, who we both like as as a stud this year. But look at what else is on the depth chart there. I mean, Ted Ginn, Riley Ridley, give me a break. All of those cast of clown tight ends that they've got there. I think if Miller I think Miller could easily see a hundred plus targets this year, and that's probably enough for him to kick back on his ADP there. For sure. No, it's a narrow tree. I know they signed and drafted nine tight ends, but none of them are any good. So, uh, I, yeah, I think they're going to be probably playing from behind and they can't run the ball with Montgomery. So I think Miller's going to be just get plenty of targets as a number two with an upgraded QB. Uh, final one, Curtis Samuel. I liked him last year, drafted him <laughs> aggressively. Um, all, some numbers, you know, to suggest he was not his fault. is so inaccurate on the deep ball. Crazy air yards numbers. Um, they thought he was going to be shipped from Carolina, but it sounds like he is staying some, some kind of fluff pieces recently. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I get, I gave off some of those, uh, some of those quotes last podcast with Liz about the, uh, about the, you know, the, the quotes from his offensive coordinator, how excited they were. I'll just, in case anyone missed that one, the, the biggest key for me, why DJ Moore broke out and Curtis Samuel did not, you know, number one, DJ Moore is a really good player, probably the best 50, 50 ball receiver, or, and maybe the best yards after catch receiver in the NFL right now, but 50, 50, really DJ Moore, you think is, is he's, he's legit. Actually has, actually has the best contested catch rate in reception perception history last year, which I, I think I, is I, a, well. is a big, big reason why he was able to, uh, to, you know, again, break out without a bad, with a bad quarterback. Cause that's not Samuel's game. I mean, he, right. Samuel makes some highlight real catches, but he just missed too many. Number one, he missed too many last year. He dropped too many passes last year, which isn't something that's worrisome to me from a long-term perspective, but it's an explanation of why things didn't work out last year. But the biggest reason in my opinion, is DJ Moore in his reception perception sample ran a slant, a dig, or a screen route on 48% of his charted routes. Those are very short layup routes in the middle of the field for a bad quarterback to make. 
On the other hand, Samuel ran a nine route corn route corner route out comeback on 46.3% of his patterns. Those are break into the outside, deep vertical routes. Those are much harder to hit. So I think that's just the easy explanation for people that want to come at me. Why did D- why did DJ Moore have a great season with Kyle Allen, but not Curtis Samuel? Just because they both got WR next to their name doesn't mean they're doing the same thing on the field. And get the hell out of my mentions, you clowns. But yeah, I like I like Samuel because he's so cheap. You know, again, these are all sure. guys that I think have had hype before but haven't broken out yet. But I think reception perception would show that the talent is still there. And again, a guy like a guy like Samuel, if he net like all of these other guys we've talked about, they're pretty good in reception perception. But Samuel is awesome. You know, he's up there with some of the 35 best players in success rate versus man coverage ever. Some of the 35 best success rate versus press coverage players ever. I put those charts out on Twitter this week. Use the hashtag reception perception. If he never has a good season, he would be like the outlier of all outliers. And maybe he is. But I'm going to take the gamble one more time and then probably next year when he goes to a new team, too. And talk about an upgraded quarterback, right? I mean, Kyle Allen was absolutely horrific last year. So so to you in fantasy, Samuel over, say, Robbie Anderson? Yes, because I think the biggest thing that Robbie Anderson is going to do for Curtis Samuel is not have him make all those, not have him run all of those deep outside routes because that's really Robbie Anderson's specialty where I think that uh, I would I would say that Samuel can run shorter intermediate routes much better than Robbie Anderson can. I'm glad, glad to hear about that DJ Moore. I have a DJ Moore versus Beckham bet with someone, so I'm glad to hear the, oh. uh, hear that uh, that stat. So yeah, I've been waiting personally just and going crazy drafting running backs early in my drafts just because of this receivers. So in round five, if I can get a McLaurin, DJ Shark, uh, Marquise Brown in round six, whatever seven. Uh, and, and I'm good. I'm talking aggressive, like big money. Like if your home league or right now in general ADP, these guys are, are even cheaper than that. Uh, and, and it could go on and on. Like we're just a handful. So receivers just, I mean, if you ever, I mean, this is a, the league is just loaded with talent like never before. Right. Yeah. I've, I've said it on a lot of podcasts, like the 2018 and 2019 wide receiver classes were really like looking back in hindsight, very underrated. People were not all that high on those classes, but yeah, I think we've got, potentially four or five studs out of last year's draft class alone. When you're looking at Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, you know, your guy Debo, Debo. Sam Debo's up oh, there. Horrible. I know. So sad. So it sad. sucks. It's yeah. it's it's the worst. But I mean those five guys alone are I have AJ Brown number seven overall, by the way, is my wide receiver. That's how high I am on AJ Brown. Speak on it. I mean, are you worried about like the overall volume, the construction of the Titans <laughs> offense at all? Who are they going to throw it to? Who else? I, I, I Yes, I am worried compared to the others. Like, I have Thielen right below him, and I can confidently say if he's, they'll stay healthy, Thielen is more likely to finish with, with more targets. But I'm even a Derrick Henry guy. But you look at the – even if they regress with um, with just how efficient they were, it'll be more volume. And, uh, did you watch A.J. Brown? What a monster. No one does that at that age with those crazy yards per route run. Just – passes it checks every box no he's a monster he'll be he could i'll just say right now he'll be drafted ahead of michael thomas in 2021 i, I bet you money aj brown will be consistent it'll be consensus Whoa. it'll be consensus aj Brown will be ranked ahead of michael thomas in 2021 that is spicy uh i mean look if if michael thomas is uh, it's not even that crazy from- i mean breeze career it's not even that crazy i'd be shocked if it's not i'm gonna i'll guarantee it i guarantee i'd be surprised if aj brown's not ranked and generally consensus ahead of Michael Thomas in 2021. I think that's that's what should be expected. 
Dalton coming out swinging. Uh, number one, I I love it. Like, let's get more of that. That's good stuff. Um, but AJ Brown, yeah. Look, there. I agree with you. There's no questions about him as a player. Can like he was a guy that people expected to come in, and myself included. I I thought that he would come in and be a great big slot receiver. You know, a guy that that came in and and owned the middle of the field, but. He played outside X receiver last year, the most difficult role that you can play on an NFL offense as a wide receiver. He came out and did that, and he absolutely crushed it from a stats perspective, from a reception perception standpoint, from just the eye test in general. This guy is a badass. Like, don't don't compare him to Anquan Bolden just because he's like a physical bully. He is that physical bully, but he is fast. He's elusive. He's aggressive and 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 he can win on those vertical patterns too. Can separate all over the field. Total stud. I I agree with you. It's I think the the typical take for fantasy this year will be love the player, hate the ADP, or, or just don't love the situation enough. But look, he could easily be a hundred thirty plus target dominator yeah, this year. Yeah, I, I yes, and he'll do a ton with that too. I I love him, and um, I I don't watch college football, but uh, the guys I respect um had me really wanting him when he fell to the Niners, and instead we took Debo, and I've been kind of upset with that ever since. And now Debo's uh, lost his foot, and that's uh, frustrating. But another another cool thing I saw recently, um, someone tweeted, I forget who it was, but someone said the worst thing he did to EJ Brown's decision was to take a picture next to Metcalf with his shirt off in college, and he responded, right. and he responded to that. I think he was a fantasy writer, even. He responded, he's like, no, man, it was the best thing I've ever done. I've been counted out my whole life, and I like to continue doing that. I ain't counting you out, AJ Brown. Number seven, I'm closer to moving you higher. So, so yeah, I'm all, I'm all in there. I'm glad you you agree with me, though, with reception perception, because, I mean, what's not to like, but uh, I'm glad to hear it, to confirm it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the player's a complete stud. But I think that's going to do it for us today, Dalton. We hit on a ton of topics, a ton, few I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting us to, you know, take our pants off and run around for A.J. Brown here at the last possible uh, moment of the podcast here. But I'm glad we did because he truly uh, does. He does deserve it. He's a complete uh, total stud, as we mentioned. We're, next time we get together, which will be next Tuesday or a little while from now, actually. Never mind. I forgot about that. But at some other time, we'll talk about Josh Allen. But we'll get we'll get yes, to that another we're talking point. about Josh Allen for sure. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that at some point after I've kind of sharpened my take on it. But that's going to do it for this week. Liz and I are going to be back on Thursday. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Therese and Charles to, you know, fill up all of your great audio football needs. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. More importantly, that's at Dalton Del Don. We are out of here. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.